0: I'm Dan Potter, host of the KRMG Morning News with Dan Potter on 1023 KRMG Tulsa's News and Talk. And these are the Damp Otter Files, conversations with Tulsa's most fascinating people. If you're going to a big holiday party this month, there is a decent chance the music will be from this guy. From corporate gatherings to major community events, Grady Nichols has become Tulsa's A-list musician for the biggest events. The sax player and his band are especially busy this time of year with gigs ranging from the Utica Square lighting to the band's annual Christmas concert at the Mabee Center. Throughout a career spanning over two decades, Nichols has performed with Luciano Pavarotti, Ray Charles, Al Green, Wayman Tisdale, even the Beach Boys. His albums have featured such acclaimed guest vocalists as Chicago's Bill Champlin, Lee Nash of Sixpence None the Richer, Andy Chrisman of For Him, and award-winning songwriter Zach Malloy. Are are you from Tulsa, Grady? I
1: actually grew up in Siloam Springs, Arkansas.
0: Okay, so from the area.
1: From the area, but my dad uh, was born in Tulsa Hmm. and, and grew up here. So he went to Edison, he was a baseball player, and kind of an interesting thing, um, when he was born, let's see if I can explain this right, but like, so my grandma and her sister both gave birth to twins on the same day in what? the same hospital at wow. St. John's. And so back then, they even made like the the old uh, newsreels, you know, that they would run in, in theaters yeah. back then. But um, so that was kind of a neat. So they were a local news story. They were a local news story. Huh. My dad was right from birth, you know, so uh-huh. he's, he's a, a twin with his uh, sister. But uh, I'd always heard about Tulsa uh, growing up. And we had family over here because my grandparents were here, my aunt and uncle were here, a lot of cousins. So we were over in Tulsa all the
0: time. When did you move here?
1: When I graduated from college in uh, '94. I'd went to John Brown University in Siloam and then moved over here. I felt like Tulsa really had uh, a lot of opportunity. All the things that I was interested in doing uh, seemed like that could happen here in Did Tulsa.
0: Did you graduate with a music degree or what was your degree
1: in? My degree was broadcasting. Really? Yes. And, uh, you know, I thought I was going to try and be an anchor, an anchor person, you know, an man. Yeah. And uh, I think... Probably that would not have been good because I would have done the news like Chevy Chase would have, <laughs> you know. Oh, I know the but, temptation, that's for know, sure. You know, because you just you, just, you want to make something that's—you just want to lighten things up because, goodness, there's so much stuff in the world, yeah, you know. Tell me about it. But, um, but, yeah, I studied broadcasting, and I minored in business, so I didn't—I I, basic—but I did take music classes. Um, I took two years of theory— I took ear training, and then I also studied privately with a uh, saxophone professor at the NSU in Tahlequah.
0: When was it you first picked up the sax? The sixth grade. Okay. And so uh, they came around to the grade school. They said, uh, hey, who wants to be in band? Let's try out this reed instrument on you, sir, because your embouchure looks like uh, it's good for the saxophone.
1: I wish it was that easy, Dan, because yeah. actually what happened was, you know, at that time, um... Kenny G was popular. Right. So everybody wanted to play the saxophone. And so my band director talked me into starting on the French horn. Oh God. Under the guise that, hey, this thing sounds like the sax. You won't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, I mean I'll 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 give it I'll give it a whirl. And uh you know, it, it doesn't. Oh. It didn't look as cool. It just, you know, and the role of that instrument in a in an orchestra was different. You know, and yes, it is. I I played it, and I just was like. Mm. I, no, this really
0: isn't what I'm. <laughs> it's it's it, the toughest brass instrument to master, by well, most accounts.
1: And it's and it's uh, it has such an interesting quality because yeah. I always think of the French horn as kind of that mournful sound that you'll hear through Love different the French pieces because it's, it's beautiful. Horn. But it's yeah. nothing where you could play, you know, chameleon with right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not. You're it's not going to play gonna, Herbie
0: Hancock. No, it's well, just on the French horn.
1: It, was, it would be very unusual. So <laughs> my. Uh, this kind of this was this worked really well. My dad was the principal at the junior high, uh, so I just was like, "Dad, can you talk to Mister Parker and yeah. just see if there's any way I can switch?" And so Dad went and just talked to him. Said, "Hey, this you know, my son's not really it. This just is not really his thing. Is it? Could he switch to the sax?" And so he let me, which was great. But I was behind, you know. I was like last year because yeah. this I had I had really given it a shot for quite a while, and um, but then I just practiced and, and practiced and practiced
0: to, to catch up. Did you know pretty quickly that you were in love with his instrument, or did it take a while?
1: You know, I think where when it when there was a real switch in terms of how much time I spent on the horn was, uh, I, I was an athlete or pff, I, I practiced with the guys that were athletes, right? <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know, I played basketball Okay, and see the, the real, the real, uh, funny thing was that at the rate I was growing and the size that I was, the doc, my doctor said like, Hey, you're going to be six, six your senior year. I'm like, awesome. It would be like a basketball stud. How uh, how tall are you right now? Like 5'11". I mean, <laughs> you're, you're I didn't even make six yeah. foot, man. And, you know, and so uh, I had that in the back of my head and I kept thinking, well, you know, I'm not getting to play a whole lot. <laughs> I'm kind of warming up the bench here. Maybe I'll get to, maybe this whole growth thing's going to happen. My junior year in high school. I'm playing on junior varsity, which of course no one comes to those games, right? right. It's like they're like at five, <laughs> you know, and, and so no one, no one's there, and and there were freshmen. I was a junior at the time. There were freshmen dressing out ahead of me on the varsity. I'm like, hmm, well, that's kind of you know that's not cool. I, I mean I get they're better, but you know, but I'm a junior, so I went I went to my coach, and I said, do you see me dressing out on the varsity? And he just looked at me. and He said, "No, no, I don't. (laughs) No, I don't." But I'm like, "That's I needed that. I needed that kind of you needed exactly. I needed that honesty." And so I just said, "Well, I think I think that's it for me, Coach. I think I I think I'm gonna really I really want to get into my music and spend time with that because you know those practices you would be there for hours after school." And so that's that was really the switch, and I really started spending a lot of time practicing. And, and when you're young, and in high school and college, it's you know you just want to tell all the all the young people. Gosh, I sound like an old guy, but you want to tell all the young people, get off the Xbox. This is when you have time to actually develop yeah. a craft or or learn to be good at something because you've got all this time. And uh, you know, as you as you. Get older, and you're doing your craft. You have less and less time to sp- to spend like
0: experimenting and and practicing as much as you did when you were when you were younger. You know, people ask me why I'm involved with high school marching band and drum corps. You know, 40 years after my experience with it, and it, it is simply because of the quality of young people I get to hang around. Mm. You know, we we take open mics and calls on on my radio show with people badmouthing young people all of the time and my response to them is you're hanging around with the wrong kind of young people mm-hmm. you know if you hang around student musicians you're going to hang around kids that that know how to have fun without being plugged in mm-hmm. you know um and and I love that and know how to pursue excellence and know that hard work can lead to a whole lot of happiness and marching band whew, i mean that that's
1: a uh... I I did that. I did marching band. I, I had a gig in Little Rock last weekend, and I was telling the audience that we used to come from Siloam to Little Rock to compete. Mm. And uh, it was uh, – ironically, I played bass drum. I didn't really play the sax because um, really, in a marching
0: band, the, the woodwinds, bless their hearts, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, you just can't really, you're just right. not really heard well, all that These days, much. they're
0: miking them. They'll they'll use shotgun mics and they'll mic a whole ensemble of woodwinds, and you can start to hear them. But in a lot of bands, totally lost. You're right. Yeah, and
1: so um, I played bass drum, and but then my senior year, he uh, he wanted me to play snare. So that sn- that summer, yeah. I learned how to play snare drum, wow. and I actually feel like that that rhythmic experience that that gave me over all those years really helped influence how i how i play
0: Let's talk about how you play. Um, there is scarcely a, a major event in Tulsa that doesn't have a, a Grady Nichols component to it. <laughs> uh, whether it's a Christmas tree lighting at Utica Square or uh, some major corporate you know, benefit going on, something like that. You're the A-lister for Tulsa when it comes to musical entertainment. How did you get there? Well,
1: uh, um, you know, I don't... I, I, I don't know. I I I think um I've just I've worked really hard. I mean, I remember when I moved here, um I had a cassette and a little <laughs> one-sheet biography, right? Because I was 22, hadn't really done a whole lot, so it was, the type was really big mm. so that it looked more full on the sheet, but I remember going to to clubs. And I would go in and say, hey, I, I just moved to town. I'm a sax player. Do you guys ever do a jazz night or anything like that? And, you know, I just – I kind of pounded the pavement. And I, I got a lot of – a lot of laughs because I didn't I didn't have a feel for the scene. I had no idea. Um, I knew that – I knew at that time that Earl Clark was the guy, you know. And Earl Earl had – was always great to me, always kind, super cool. And then we ended up getting to do some shows together. But I – I think it was a a gradual thing. There were a lot of things that came together in the 90s that were very helpful. When we first got a a jazz station, Mm. the Smooth Jazz Station, I just had put out my very first record. I think I was 25 at the time. And I was on the radio. And so that was a very unique uh, circumstance to have all of that come together with with your first record and to get on local radio
0: goodness radio is so different now right yeah that, right you know, there's there's consultants and all kinds of if things if there were a smooth jazz station in town right now it would probably be programmed out of new york or atlanta or la exactly and the, the chance of getting a local artist on would be almost non-existent yeah and so it, it's really been kind of a
1: a very gradual thing and um I th- I think what has helped a lot has has been that you know I've really worked hard to have a um a specific kind of musical identity. Um, Describe that identity. <clears throat> most artists, when you first start out, you know everybody emulates their hero. Gosh, I I want to play like Stanborn or I want to play like Kenny G. And then you you gradually realize when those guys are already are out there. Mm. What, what is my, what's my offering? What do I have that would be unique? And to really discover that, you have to start writing. You know, you have to start making music of your own. And, um, that process, I love making records. You know, we've got at this point, like 10, um, and the business of making rec- records is, has changed so much over the course of my career because really there's no money in making a record today. Mm. It, it's all, you know, now if you get on the radio and, and all those things, because we get played on watercolors and, and all that stuff, um, there's there's revenue there. But streaming is just is not, you know, it's super convenient. I get it. I stream. Everybody does. But it doesn't really... Support an artist, what do you way, get like? One three thousand <laughs> I mean, of a yeah. cent or something every it's, time it streams. It's, it's so ridiculous. negligible. Yeah. I wouldn't even call it mailbox money. It's more like postage stamp money that <laughs> you know that comes in. But um, you know, but but that's that's the economics of what we deal with, and and that's okay. So if you make a record now, you really do it because you 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 have to. You love it. Yeah, it's something that's in you. You've got to get it out. And so um, I still love making music, but. But part of writing and working with other people is you really want to be uh, a sponge, and you just want to absorb everything that you can and learn everything that you can. I I remember uh, when I first started to work with Jeff Lorber, and Jeff Lorber discovered Kenny G. And Jeff's a Grammy winner. I, I was in L.A. working with him. And we were in his studio, and we were listening to my demo, and there really wasn't a song out of that 10, 10 songs that he really liked. Like, he would hit one, nah. Next one, 10, 20 seconds, nah. And so I'm like, oh, this is going great. Boy, <laughs> this yeah. is going really well. But what I, what I see uh, today is that you have to be teachable. You have to be like, well, look, I may have liked those songs, but this is Jeff Lorber. He is where I want to be. He has the experience. He has the expertise that I don't. You have to be able to set your ego aside. Yeah. And just say, I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to do whatever he thinks we should do. And so I think that, uh, you know, you'll watch The Voice and some of those shows and, 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 you know, someone will come off and they'll be upset with the judges. And it's like, well, I think I'm great. And it's like, well... But these guys are where you want to be. You, you need to put some credence behind what they say. So I, I think making sure that you're teachable and just always learning all the time. And so I'm always trying to get better, always trying to do different things and, and push myself. And, and I feel like that the kind of music that we've created, what I've tried to do is, uh, is be a singer with the saxophone. I tend to spend more of my time practicing what a singer does mm. than uh, what a lot of other sax players do because I want to, you know, the saxophone, you can emote and and have emotion more than any other instrument uh, out there.
0: That's why chicks dig the saxophone.
1: That's, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's, yeah, that is, that's true. Although not in high school, but maybe later. <laughs> maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe later. later. But... um but yeah, the, the saxophone has so much depth to it. And you know you can you can put five players in a row on a tenor and they're all gonna sound different and they're mm. all gonna do things differently. And that's what's so cool about it. It's, it's, it's a, there's so much room for everyone. And so I just tried to find what my voice was with my tone. And then also with the style of, of how I write and what kind of music that we create.
0: you have you know, the other 11 months of the year. December, you, Grady Nichols turns into Mr. Christmas <laughs> Tulsa. Uh, <laughs> right. We're just three days removed from your big Christmas concert at the Maybe Center. You told me you had your biggest crowd ever this year. Yes, biggest
1: crowd we, we've had, and uh, it, it benefited Lisa Bain
0: Ministries, and
1: she's uh, she was a phenomenal uh, partner and. um You know, she has an amazing ministry that does a lot for the community in Tulsa. And uh, if you're going through cancer, she comes alongside and helps you walk through that Mm. and just lifts your spirits. Because, you know, people deal with so many tough things, and she comes along and, and she just supports you all the way through it. And I've known Lisa for a very, very, very long time, and she's an outstanding, outstanding human being. Do you have any nights free during the Christmas season? Or are you playing a gig every night? Oh no, not not every night. Right. I mean, there I there are things I I'll say no to, you know, just because you do want to um, <laughs> not overdo it or you know not not overextend yourself. But you know, to to your point earlier, um, I did I did in those early years I did work way too much. I mean, I I could remember. Um, you know, I would get sick, and my doctor was like, "Do you ever take a vacation?" Well, yeah, I'll go to LA and I'll I'll write and work. And he's like, "No, I mean like a real vacation." I think I think probably my my first vacation was when I got married. <laughs> uh, you know, in <laughs> in two thousand, we're we're at um, oh in Nassau, uh, Atlantis. Uh-huh. We're, we're sitting there on the beach, and like I think on the I think it was the first day. You know, we're we're sitting there, and I I turned to my wife and I said, "So, so what do we do? What are we <laughs> what are we supposed to do?" And she's like, "Nothing. This That's the whole it. point. Yeah. You just sit." And I'm like, "Oh, I've never done. I I'd never done that before. All all through my, I just, you know. Yeah. I, but I enjoy the work. I I enjoy work.
0: I enjoy what I do. So it it doesn't seem as much like work, you know." pretty much all of my PTO from the stations taken up doing marching band and drum corps stuff. And, and that's my vacation too. So I, I told totally you get understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sitting still is both, uh, liberating and frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> now how, how did you acquire this passion for, for marching? Band? Well, I, I was, I was in drum corps and marching band when I was in high school. I was a, um, Back then they called him marching and maneuvering technician. I was a visual instructor for several corps and marching bands in Illinois and Indiana and Ohio uh, in the 80s and 90s and then started announcing for Drum Corps International and BOA in the early 90s and that's kind of carried me through to now I do podcasting for them and all sorts of stuff. I've kind of become a, a marching band celebrity in this little niche activity. Which that, I love. That
1: is amazing, and it, it it has become so much more sophisticated. Oh yeah. Than, than when I was in it as a kid.
0: I mean, yeah. there's it is a, it's a really big deal. And it's you know that, that I, I'm glad you said that because <coughs> it kind of brings me to you know the musicality of Green Country and of Tulsa. Um, you know, I had the band directors from Union, Owasso, and Broken Arrow in here for one of these podcasts oh, so month, two months ago. And talk, what is it in the water that we have so many great high school music programs in this area? And then you go beyond that to the professional scene and the Tulsa sound and how it's shaped, <coughs> uh, you know, the the American song canon. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of maybe to wrap things up here, talk to me about Tulsa and music and what you've observed since you've been here.
1: I think Tulsa, ha- <laughs> Tulsa has an amazing history. I mean, I... Uh... When uh, Teresa Knox refurbished Church Studio, yeah. Um, By the way, Teresa, the very first guest on this podcast. Oh, she's she's great. Yeah, she's Love great. Her. And um, you talk about somebody who loves Tulsa. Yeah. Um. I really kind of dove in a, a more on that Tulsa sound. I mean, when I moved here, I I, I heard of it. I was familiar with it. But I, I didn't dive in as much because I was just trying to get – I was just trying to get established. I was just trying to get my feet on the ground. Um, but to, to, to go into that lore of everything with Leon Russell and the people that came through – and I had, I had done work with um, Larry Schaefer, so mm-hmm. I learned a lot from him about all the people that had come through and people that he'd had at the Canes. Cause, and Larry was good to me because he would give me a lot of opening slot opportunities. Like, he put me in front of Ray Charles. Wow. he talk about a Christmas wow. present. <laughs> yeah, no you know, kidding. And, um, so uh, But the, the Tulsa sound, there are so many great artists uh, that come from Tulsa and really our state. I mean, probably... I would, I'm going to, I mean, if you put Taylor Swift out of the, the equation, and of course she's not really country as much anymore, but if you look just at country of how many people come from Oklahoma. Oh, God, yeah. Whether it's Carrie or, or Blake or Reba, I mean, my word. I mean, it's it's pretty extraordinary, um, the the music that we have from this state. But Tulsa, I think the, the future just is... I think with the, um, the Tulsa has what, with what Therese has done at the church, um, that has brought a lot of attention to Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Having the BOK Center as such an amazing venue has brought attention to Tulsa. The Bob Dylan Center. Yes, uh, Woody Guthrie, all those things have brought attention to Tulsa. And so we have, we have a very rich,, uh, vibrant arts community. And I just think that's gonna gonna continue, and with the the films that are happening as well, with uh, with the Oklahoma Film Arts Culture and, and Music Organization, I mean, there's just there's a lot of stuff happening. And uh, you know, earlier in my career, I would I would have I remember getting a uh, I got a handwritten note from Kathy Taylor, and uh, there had been a, a newspaper article or whatever, and she just had said, "I'm glad you stay in Tulsa." And it's true, I, 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 there has been that temptation to move before sure. to Nashville or what have you, but uh, I love Tulsa. I love Tulsa. And uh, it's such a, it's such a uh, the people here are wonderful. And it, they have been so good to me over the years that I just can't imagine doing this anywhere else. And I think, I think the other musicians that are here probably feel the same way. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm pretty sure Tulsa loves you too, Grady Nichols. Um, Merry Christmas to you, and thanks for being our guest. Thank you, Dan. Merry Christmas to you too. That's Tulsa's sax man, Grady Nichols. This is our last Dan otter files, hard to believe, until next year. Starting this podcast is by far one of the best things that's happened to me in 2023, and I thank you for listening. Our theme music is written and performed by Tulsa's Aaron J. Morton. I'm Dan Potter. Until next time, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I'll talk to you on the radio.